We're in our sermon series, and we only have, after today, we only have one more message in this series, uh, the final steps where we've traced the life of Jesus Christ from uh, the whole Passion Week, and then now after Passion Week, um, we will start a new series called God Is, where we will go over the uh, different attributes of God, and it's going to be really fun. We've got several uh, guest speakers lined up to, f- to speak uh, during this series, and so it's going to be really cool. You'll get an opportunity to hear different voices and uh, different perspectives on things. Um, but uh, we are in the final steps, and we're in part 17 this week. What's so great about the Great Commission? Uh, so if you could know the moment of your departure from this life, and you had the ability to give a message to your closest friends, your closest family, what would you tell them? What would that message be? Would you apologize for things that uh, harmed your relationship? Would you reminisce on a special memory that you shared between you and this individual? Would you tell them where all your cash is buried? Or would you take that secret to the grave? Would you, uh, if, if you had five minutes with each person that you love and that you care for, what would you say to them? Well, Jesus had such an occasion. After he was resurrected from the dead, he appeared to the disciples several times. He reassured them. He encouraged them. He proved that it was really him that had risen from the dead. He ate with them. He talked with them. He walked through locked doors, maybe to freak them out a little bit. Um, He restored them, and he loved them. But it was time. He had previously told them that it was for their benefit that he leave, because only then would they receive the Holy Spirit, the comforter that God was going to send to guide them into all truth. Now, to the disciples, this must have been a very difficult moment. I can imagine they didn't want Jesus to go anywhere. He was the Messiah. He was going to usher in the Messianic age. He, they needed him to guide them and direct them to help spread the word of the gospel. But Jesus had a different plan. He said it was necessary for him to leave. But before he left, he gave a very short speech, and that short speech is what we call the Great Commission. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, Versions of the Great Commission appear in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the book of Acts, but we'll concentrate most on the one in Matthew as we seek to answer the question, what's so great about the Great Commission? So you can follow on the screen. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 17 is where we'll begin. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Some doubted. Now we're going to pause right there, okay? So in the previous message from last week, remember Peter and six other disciples are in Galilee And they're fishing because they don't know what else to do. And you have four disciples that are completely missing in action. Here, the missing four have arrived in Galilee. They've caught up with the others. And so you have the 11 
disciples. And this may be the first time that they've seen Jesus since Thomas's encounter with Christ eight days after the resurrection. He appeared on the on Resurrection Sunday, and then but Thomas wasn't there, and so uh, he didn't show up again to meet with the disciples until eight days later when he met with the disciples and with Thomas. Then he disappears. He pops up in Galilee while Peter and seven, uh, six other guys are fishing. And so there, he's going and coming, and he's uh, popping in and appearing and disappearing. And now this is 40 days since he has risen from the dead. And this may explain, because they haven't seen him that much, we assume he just basically hung out with them for 40 days, but the Gospels don't support that idea. It actually supports the idea that he's just coming and going, and so this may explain the reason why some of them worshipped and some of them doubted. Is this really Jesus? Is this really him? And while it seems crazy to us because we think, man, you're in the presence of Jesus, You've already seen him at least once or twice since the resurrection. How can you doubt? He defeated death. He's risen from the grave. What could be more awe-inspiring and glorious than that? But I think this statement helps us that we can be in the midst of a miraculous moment with God and still have questions and doubts. We still wonder how Are you going to work all this out? And Jesus didn't rebuke them for the doubting. He didn't chide them. He didn't embarrass them. He didn't shun them. He didn't say, okay, well, you guys clearly don't have enough faith, so why don't y'all just go walk over there? Go hide behind a rock while I ascend. You don't get to look at it. No, he didn't. He didn't embarrass them. He He didn't shun them. Instead, he entrusted his whole movement to these men. And so let's finish the passage, and I'll bring uh, some things from this passage for us to consider. Mark, tw- I'm sorry, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, And Jesus came, and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The first thing Jesus said was go instead of stay safe. First thing he said was go instead of stay safe. See, the easiest thing in the world to do is the path of least resistance. It would have been so easy for the disciples to play it safe, to go back to their homes, tell stories of what Jesus had done and all that they had witnessed, and settle down and raise a family because they were about to upend the religious order that they had grown up in. Imagine one day that you, growing up all your life as a Christian, suddenly God reveals something that completely upends your religion. I mean, there is hardly anything that people hold so dear than their religious beliefs. They might have even hoped that they could just go home, raise their kids, teach their kids to follow Christ, and that would be the end of it. But Jesus had a different plan for them. Instead of playing it safe, he commanded them to go. Go 
into all the world. Go into the darkest and most difficult places. Go into the places that are hostile to the gospel. Go to the tribes of cannibals. Go to the places, uh, go to the people who want to crucify you. Go until every person has had a chance to hear the gospel. Now, it's hard for some people to believe the exclusionary nature of the gospel. And what I mean by that is, for some people, it's very difficult to accept the fact that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, that he is the only method of salvation. And they say, surely that can't be the case. God is love, and he would never send somebody to hell. And what about the people who've never heard? Surely ignorance is an excuse. But if you think about it, if ignorance is a valid excuse to get into God's heaven, the best advice Jesus would have given the disciples is don't tell anybody what you know. If they know, if they know the gospel and they reject it, they'll go to hell. But if they don't know, then they'll get into heaven through the ignorance loophole we just created. Well, Jesus didn't tell them to keep quiet. He told them to go into all the world. They must go into all the world. Every tribe and language and nation must hear the message of salvation. That Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and that no one, as he said, no one comes to the Father except through him. He said, go instead of say, stay safe. Number two, the second thing Jesus told them was to make disciples instead of collect followers. Make disciples instead of collect followers. It's easy to collect a following. In fact, in our culture today, gathering a following is really important to people. How many people are following you on Instagram? Oh, I've got 2,000 followers and you only have 380. Having followers and being followed by influential people is really important to some people. Oh my gosh, Beyonce just commented on my post. Some of you were like, oh my, I, I actually would probably lose my mind if Beyonce commented on my post. You, need to, you just need to be good looking. You just need to be funny. You just need to be entertaining or talented to collect followers. And you, you'll quickly gain a following. People will follow you. But Jesus didn't command us to collect followers like an Instagram influencer. He commanded us to make disciples. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, it means that we learn about Christ and we take what we know and we share it with others. Just like Jesus discipled his disciples. We're supposed to do the same. We study God's word together. We pray about each other's needs. We bear one another's burdens. We experience life together. We correct, we instruct, we encourage, and we truly care about one another. Being a disciple is about living the Christ life and taking others along with us on that journey. There's even a moment in the Gospels, it's one of my favorite stories in the Gospels, when, when Jesus felt like the crowd was getting too big. 
You see, the disciples were really excited about this because they were really popular all of a sudden. And these are nobodies. These disciples are fishermen, tax collectors. Who likes the tax man? Does anybody work for the IRS in here? I'm sorry if you do. From, from Nobody likes the tax man. This is one of the reasons why for many years when we were taking um, the Christmas cookie trays, we specifically went to the Fort Bend County Tax Assessor's Office because they never get any love. Nobody likes them. And we thought, you know what? We do love you. We don't like what you do for a living, but we do love you as a person. And so nobody liked the tax guy. And so they're getting really popular. And they're like, oh, oh this is pretty awesome. Jesus, keep it up, man. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're getting pretty well known around here. What does Jesus do? He turns around when the crowd gets too big, and he says something incredibly difficult for the disciples to, for the crowd to hear and understand. One of the things he says is, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And they're like, that's disgusting. I didn't sign up for cannibalism. See ya. Well, he was he was speaking sim- symbolically, not literally, and uh, but he said that because he was using a spiritual analogy, and he knew that people who are dead spiritually won't understand spiritual things. And so, the crowd left. They turned around, and many stopped following Jesus. And Jesus turns to the disciples, and he says, "Will you also leave me?" Peter, ever the spokesperson of the group. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of life. Being a disciple doesn't mean to have, you have all your questions answered. But uh, before, you, before you take a step, it's a decision to step towards God. It's a decision to learn from God. To take only what he offers from his hand to shun the world's measure and definition of success and accept the kingdom's definition. When pastors preach a self-help, feel-good message, their churches typically skyrocket in size. When pastors preach hard and deep truths from the Bible, their churches typically decline in size because many people don't want to hear and accept the hard truths. They don't want to hear anything that goes against their ideology. They want to have their lifestyle confirmed, not convicted. Yet that was not Christ's way. So we shouldn't, that that shouldn't be our way either. We are about making disciples instead of collecting followers. The third thing Jesus told them to do, baptize instead of keep it quiet. Keep it quiet. In the Old Testament, a person was baptized when they became ceremonially unclean, and they were unable to participate in religious rituals until they were cleansed. Maybe they touched a dead body. Maybe they had an unexplained sore on them. Uh, People could be ceremonially unclean for any sorts, a whole lot of reasons. Before they were allowed to participate in the rituals and the Jewish rituals, they, uh, related to the holy days and, and sacrifices and stuff, they had to immerse themselves in water or baptize themselves, a complete immersion in clean water, 
and they would be ceremonially clean. So our baptism, when we baptize people, that's not a New Testament concept. It's a very Old Testament concept. It, it was established in the law, in the Torah. In the New Testament, we see a guy named John, and his we, we know what his job title is. We know what he does for a living because he's called John the Baptist. And so he's out there baptizing people in the wilderness. He baptized them because they were outwardly clean, but they were inwardly filthy to God. And these baptisms were public announcements of God's inward work of holiness in that person's life. They were a declaration to everybody who witnessed this person being baptized that they were going to live their lives set apart for God. They were going to shun sinful desires. They were going to pursue a life of godliness and holiness. So when Jesus told these disciples to baptize those who accepted Christ and became disciples themselves, he was telling them that a public declaration of repentance was necessary. They were, it was the first step to being a witness to the gospel that they had received. Now, yes, in this culture, it would absolutely paint a target on their back because they lived in places that were hostile to the gospel. But a public declaration like a baptism merely echoed what Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. If you are ashamed of the gospel, Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I will not confess your name before the Father. But if you confess my name before men, I will confess your name before the Father. The fourth thing Jesus commanded his disciples to do was teach instead of conceal the truth. There were... And there still are religious groups who only allow those at the top of the religion or organization to know the secret truths. Secret handshakes, secret handbooks, secret knowledge, secret beliefs, secret rites and rituals. And in the very beginning, to be fair, in the very beginning of Christ's ministry, when he healed somebody, when he did a miracle, he told them to keep it quiet. And it wasn't that he was trying to do this. It wasn't that he was trying to conceal the truth. It says that he, know, he knew what was in the heart of men. And he knew that they would try and take him and make him king by force, but that was not his mission. And so at the beginning of his ministry, he told them, you need to keep it down. But eventually, he did go public. And he allowed people to publicly broadcast who he was. Jesus said what Isaiah had already prophesied. Those whose hearts are not in tune with God are on the outside. They have ears, but they don't want to hear. They have eyes, but they don't want to see. They don't want to know the truth. If they did want to know the truth, then they would see it for what it was. And Jesus longed for people to come to that moment. He longed for them to understand what the truth was. He longed so much that he wept over Jerusalem a city that was sustained by God, a city filled with worship to God every single Sabbath and holy day. But it was a city who, that was filled with people whose hearts were turned from God. They were more in love with ritual than they were a true relationship. Therefore, they must be taught the truth. And the truth must be available to all. 
not just a select few. Each person can and should know the power of the gospel, this life-changing, transforming good news of Jesus Christ. It is not meant to be concealed or hidden. It is meant to be noised abroad, as it says in Acts 2.6, noised abroad. The fifth thing Jesus said in his commission was obey instead of choose your own priorities. Obey. I have, this is not in my notes, so we'll see where this goes. I have two toddlers, y'all are aware of this, three and a half years old. There's only two things I want in life at this stage of my life, obedience and quiet. And I don't get either. So some days, Pastor Jason is a little frustrated. I just want obedience. And now, you know, when and most of you didn't raise twins, and so you didn't get a double dose of everything at the same time. I get two tiny people saying, why? 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 Because I said so. But why? Because... There will be punishment if you don't. But why? Why? Just do it now. Obey instead of choose your own priorities. In America, we really love our liberties. We love our freedoms. We like, we may not like the food, but we like the concept of Burger King because we like to have it our way. We don't want to be told what we have to leave on our burger when we go to a restaurant. We want to have it our way. And we like to choose our own priorities, what we think is important. We like to have the buffet mentality where we can pick and choose what we want. And unfortunately, that has even seeped into churches where, well, I like, I like the music at this church, but the preaching is awful and they pray too long and the chairs aren't comfortable and and, you know, and we have this buffet mentality where we, we, we're looking for the perfect place, the perfect church, the perfect whatever, that has every single box ticked for us. Lots of companies have kind of tuned into that concept, and they let their customers do that. There's a popular, cust- uh, popular commercial out now where uh, it's an insurance company, and they brag about the ability that they let customers pick their levels of coverage. Now, I'm not an insurance agent, but I kind of feel like I've always been able to do that. I can determine what what deductible, and I don't know. I don't. Maybe that's not always been the case, but but that's their big thing: is you can choose. You have the power to choose your what plan works for you and for your needs. You get to pick what's important to you. You get to decide what's necessary and unnecessary. Well, this idea has spread into Christianity. Whatever works for you, whatever your version of the truth is, whatever seems right to you. You know, there's two times in the book of Proverbs the exact same statement is made. It's found in Proverbs 14.12, if you want to write that down, Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25. Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25. Same proverb twice in the book. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. Man's ways seem right. This makes sense. I'm going to do this. It's logical. But it can lead to the death of your soul 
when you willfully choose to go against what God wants you to do. You cannot say, I surrender. At the same time, you say, but I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to do it my way. God's ways often are difficult. They are hard. They are painful. They are uncomfortable. But they lead to the life of your soul. So which do you want, life or death? To get God's life, you simply have to obey his commands. To be punishment-free from in my house, you just have to follow the rules. You have to obey the commands. It's not that complicated. I don't think so. You can ask my children, and they better tell you that it's easy. Um, we All we have to do to get God's life is to obey his commands. Read what God commanded his people to do, especially the way of life laid out by Jesus in the Gospels, and obey it. Let it be your litmus test for whether you're on the right path or not. And if you're not, that's okay. Just realize that God expects obedience. He does not tolerate disobedience. Your life is not a choose-your-own-adventure book. You remember those from back in the day? Maybe you're too young, too old, I don't know. Uh, choose Your Own Adventure was my favorite kind of book because you'd read a page and it says, if you want to do this, turn to page 25. If you want to do this, turn to page 147. And you're, I don't know what the right decision is. Christianity is not a choose your own adventure book. If you've accepted his salvation, you've accepted his yoke. You cannot be a Christian and make your own way. You, if you accepted his salvation, if you have asked him to be your Lord and your Savior, then you have accepted his teaching and his way. I'm not the way, the truth, and the life. You're not the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. It is his way or it is no way. Now, the last two things we want, I want to highlight this morning, they're actually found in another statement it's the Great Commission out of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. And Jesus said these, uh, this statement right before he ascended into heaven. It's found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The sixth thing Jesus said was, Be filled with the Spirit instead of do it in your own power. Be filled with the Spirit instead of just do it in your own power. There's a whole industry about helping you find your strengths. Strength finder tests, Enneagram types, leadership books, they fill the shelves, all with the goal of helping you discover how you're wired, <clears throat> what you're good at, and sometimes where your weaknesses lie. And a lot of that can be incredibly useful to us. But don't be drawn into the false mentality that knowing your Enneagram type or, and knowing your natural giftings will somehow replace the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Those tools are good and useful, but they can quickly become idols that replace the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. There have been plenty of times when the Holy Spirit moved on me to do something that was absolutely outside of my strengths. 
That's the whole point. To work in his power instead of my power. If I could do miraculous things, then if I had spiritual wisdom and insight, if I could prophesy without the Holy Spirit, well, then I wouldn't need God. Find your strengths, find your weaknesses, and then ask God to use you powerfully through the work of the Holy Spirit. The task of the Great Commission is so massive that it is beyond any one person's ability to do so. But if each of us is willing to obey his word, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and be sensitive to his direction, we can change the world. We can change the world. Let's say today you prayed and you asked God to put someone in your path this week to share the good news of Jesus Christ with just one person at some point this week. And then you ask God to do the same thing next week. Put somebody in my path that I can share the gospel with. Just one gospel conversation a week. That's it. You will have shared the gospel with 52 people in one year. Now, you might not think that's a lot of people, but what if you kept doing it over the next 20 years? That would be 1,040 people that have heard a credible gospel witness. You might think that's still scratching the surface. 1,040 people, Pastor, in 20 years, who even knows what the population of the world will be? It'll be crazy, 8 plus billion, 9 billion people. Who even knows? And you're right. It is just scratching the surface. But what if we all did that? See, I'm just trying to witness to 52 people a year, 1,040 within 20 years. But what if we all did that? In the United States... There are over 2 million people that attend, on a regular basis, Assembly of God churches, which is what our church belongs to. It's a fellowship that our church belongs to. 2 million people that attend Assembly of God churches that are over the age of 25. 2 million. What if every single one of those took the Great Commission seriously and had just one gospel conversation per week with a neighbor, a co-worker, Somebody at the coffee shop, somebody that the Holy Spirit leads them to, somebody that God puts them in their path. That would be over 104 million gospel conversations in one year. If we did that for just three and a half years, we will have preached the gospel, we will have presented the gospel of Jesus Christ to every living person in this country. In three and a half years. But it will never happen. If we do not take the Great Commission seriously. And if we are not willing to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. To complete the task. The final instruction to his disciples. Also found in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It says. Be my witnesses. Instead of deny the truth. Be my witnesses. Instead of deny the truth. When you witness an event that just absolutely defies logic, expectation, or explanation, you usually share it with someone close to you. And we do that a lot. We're like, we see a YouTube video and we're like, this is crazy. I can't believe this. This couldn't possibly be real. 
I saw a video, I actually shared it this week with Rick. This is, it was a video, it's called The Centrifuge Brain Project. It's on YouTube, The Centrifuge Brain Project. And it's a, a short a documentary type video where it talks about these really cutting edge roller coaster rides that they were trying to create to give people just a crazy experience. And one of them is this big globe that just spins, okay? And so to get to get on this ride, you basically sit in like a swing. And I don't know if you've ever seen those where where you're hanging down and you're, the person's in a swing and they just kind of swing them around in a big old circle and everything. And they kind of swing out sideways a little bit. I would not do that. Because, keeping in mind, to make money, they have these things built by the lowest bidder. Okay? They're not going name brand on these parts. Okay. So one of the rides was this big globe, and it was the same idea. You get in a swing, and they swing you around. But it was spinning so fast that people were out sideways, and they were all upside down swinging on this big globe. And the guy said, you know, the problem we had was when the ride stops, the people who are hanging upside down come crashing, to, and they're It'll kill them. So we had to we had to rethink this whole ride. I really encourage you to go watch this thing. It's really you you watch it and you tell me if you think it's real or not. The centrifuge brain project on YouTube. When you witness something that absolutely defies explanation, you have to share it. Come here, watch this. You got to see this video. When you witness an accident, when you witness a miracle, when you witness a healing, when you witness a moment in time that is so unique, you want to tell people about it. Because the disciples have witnessed the most amazing thing in history, that Jesus could die such a horrific death and come back from the dead, they were expected and now commanded to be his witnesses to the whole world, to the ends of the earth. Yes, they could deny the truth. They could, they could act like it never happened. They would certainly be much safer if they did. They could keep it quiet and not tell anybody that they were Christians, but they'd be directly disobeying what Christ had commanded them to do. And ten of the eleven apostles, original disciples of Christ, ten of the eleven of them were martyred for their faith. The eleventh, John, uh, they tried to kill him, but the guy just wouldn't die. Legend has it they boiled him in oil and he wouldn't die. I mean, they were getting pretty creative at this point. Instead of just throwing him to the bears and lions and everything, I mean, he would not die. And so they sent him to this abandoned island where they kept prisoners. But in that exile, at, there on the island of Patmos, when the devil didn't know what to do to shut this guy up to keep him from preaching the gospel, John had the revelation of Jesus Christ, and he wrote the book about it, offering hope to the church that God has a plan to redeem this world. He hasn't left a single thing to chance. He hasn't forgotten about his people. He has not abandoned us. He's getting ready to restore all that the enemy has destroyed. He's prepared a beautiful future for his people and to all those who love his appearing. 
Just when the devil thought he'd won by getting John away from every living person and sticking him on this abandoned island, Jesus stepped in and said, your ministry isn't done. Why don't you come up here with me for a little bit? You be a faithful witness to Christ and for Christ, and he will open doors that no one can shut. I'll ask our worship team to come up. Would you stand with me this morning? The Great Commission is great because we're part of it. God has entrusted the task to us. This is our duty. This is our responsibility. This is our mandate. If we don't do it, we will stand before Christ being disobedient sons and daughters, having known the command of Christ, but chosen our own priorities. According to Eli Gotro, a lot of you know who that is. He's the Chi Alpha director at Sam Houston State University. He was speaking uh, to uh, a group of pastors, and he said, it's really simple. When it comes to the Great Commission, we make it pretty complicated. It's actually really simple. You go, you give, or you disobey. Those are your three options. It's that simple. Because but it, it means that we have to Make the difficult decision whether or not we have surrendered our idea of what our life should look like. We all have plans what we want to do with our money. We all have plans with what we want to do with our time. We'd all like to retire and, and you know, to Tahiti and, and, you know, drink from coconuts all day. We have this plan, whatever it is for your life, that may be so far-fetched, but we all have this plan of what, what life would look like if we really we're living the good life. You know, the reality is our missionaries overseas, they're living their good life because they're in total surrender to Jesus Christ. They're exactly where God wants them to be. There have been people who, who said, I don't know if I could be a Christian. Oh, what if God calls me to be a missionary? If he calls you to be a missionary, he will empower you to be a missionary. He'll give you a heart that beats for missions he will help you align your priorities so that you can give sacrificially to missions. He will infuse your prayer life so that you are praying for the nations and these souls that desperately need to hear the gospel. I assure you, being a missionary is not the worst job on the planet. It's not the worst job in the kingdom. It's one of the best. The worst job in the kingdom is to be a Christian who refuses to surrender lordship to the person they call their Lord and Savior. That's the worst position in the kingdom. The command is clear. Go and make disciples. Start with your circle of friends. And if you share the gospel with them and they reject your friendship, then guess what? They were really never your friends to begin with. But... You have obeyed the command of Christ. Jesus didn't tell you to go make friends. He didn't tell you to go collect followers. He said, go make disciples. And if you refuse to tell your friends about a God who can save them and an eternal destination that awaits their decision, if you refuse to tell them that, then you're not really their friend either. Because if you were their friend, you would. You can impact 52 people alone with the gospel this year. If you're willing to step out 
of your comfort zone and obey Christ's command. You could impact 52 people with the gospel this year. If you refuse, then for those whom God has put in your life and go into eternity without knowing Jesus Christ, their blood is on your hands. And you will, all of us will stand before God one day. And he'll ask us about our obedience to the Great Commission. So it is time for us to take this seriously. It is time for us to step up and be obedient to the last command of Christ. It's time to see the great harvest of souls this year. For the sake of the world, for the sake of the souls that hang in the balance, we must be obedient to the command of Christ. Worship team is going to lead us in a final song. Worship with us and then I'll close in prayer at the end.